Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download, brought to you by Dirty Mo Media. Uh, I'm Dale Jr. and with me, as always, is Mike Davis. What's up? Leah, Matthew. I got a bit of a cold, so we're going to try to get through this uh, without too many... <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> any of those, you know, yeah. that kind of thing going on. Sound like TJ Majors during DBC. I feel terrible. Was he sick? No, he just goes... <clears throat> every oh, damn episode. He does that when he's healthy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well... We got a really good show for you today. Um, James Finch. All right. So I, I know a lot of people do know who James Finch is. A lot of people don't. But I believe that this will be one of the most entertaining interviews that we we will do uh, at this table. So looking forward to it. Let's get the show started. All right, man. Open segment. Well, we got we got one thing to talk about. Um, you know, we had a NASCAR had a test at Fontana um, after the race on Monday and today. I think William Byron's driving a car. That's right. Yep. And uh, they, I got a text from my from a, on my phone about the fact that the car had a single lug on it and to be ready for that all uh, to hit the uh, hit hit social media and and create quite a conversation, which it did. NASCAR is going to a single lug, much like you would see on an IndyCar for the new car. The traditional five lug pattern will go away in cup. Now, we're, we're going to have it in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series for the foreseeable future. I don't know when that stuff is all going to be transitioned out or if it will ever change, but uh, we're on expected on the Xfinity side to make that change at the same time as the cup guys, which is nice. It will be a little bit of a, an expense on the front end. Anyhow, you know... It did create quite an uproar because a lot of people are uh, like me. I mean, I'm a traditionalist. I like old school. I don't like a lot of change. And, you know, most of the cars that you see driving around on the street do have more than one lug. Um, There's not many single lug cars out there uh, going up and down the road. So there's a lot of people that feel like that, you know, they want cars to remain as similar and close to what you're going to see on the production room floor. And, yeah, I mean, I can see that argument because I would have totally been head on against this change maybe five ten years ago i would be railing against nascar for doing this um, simply from a tradition yeah standpoint. just because i don't want it to change you know okay. I, dog okay. i want it to stay the same i got you why are we changing something that's not broke you know about and i've, I've had the same conversation but i'll have it again about a couple years before the end of my career particularly the last year Something just happened, man. I just got to where, you know what, I'm going to pick my battles, and I really don't, you know, don't want to. Some I'll be honest, some things aren't up for debate. They just aren't. This is a change that is going to happen. Now, do I want to sit there and waste energy complaining about it, even though I can't change it? Right. This isn't the hill you're wanting to die on. No. you got to pick your battles. Now, I sent y'all uh, something on social media. Right. <laughs> Earlier, right uh, in in the weekend, I guess NASCAR sends out these fan surveys, which I need to get on that email list. Good lord, <laughs> they probably I have you blocked from that list. One of their biggest fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I am a big, big NASCAR fan. Would love to be on the fan survey email list. But they, you know, I get this stuff secondhand. Apparently, in this fan 
survey. They're asking fans about their opinion on where the number is located on the car, whether you know, you're okay if the number's moved. And what I mean by that is take the number and slide it back toward the rear tire, even put it on the rear quarter panel, make it really, really small, and place it all over the car, right? Um, now, that is a hill I'm willing to die on. Now, why is that? <laughs> oh, t- t- explain that one. You know, I, I, you know if, if you said to me today, all right, you got two, you can affect one of two things, where the number is and what it looks like, or the single lug wheel, I could give less about that single lug wheel. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I right. don't care about the single lug wheel. All right. And you know why? Because I've had wheels fly off my cars before. Sure. Now they don't, oh. this is not something that happens often. And, and I know that the single lug wheel is not foolproof, but if it is any, any safer than what we have, I'm all for it. As long as it keeps the tire on the car. Um, I went down into turn one on the restart and lost the left rear tire and spun out. Uh, took Jamie McMurray with me. Hard, hard, hard crash. And I've had wheels, you know, and it terrified me. Yeah. From that moment on, it terrified me anytime I had a vibration. Terrified that I was going to have a wheel come off. Because, I, I mean, that it, there, you cannot, you can't slow a car down without a wheel on it. Right. Right. Mashing the brakes, it just don't do nothing. Gotta, yep. I, if, you know, so for, from that standpoint, if it's any safer, great. Single lug all the way. It's not. I don't watch the race to see guys changing five versus one. It doesn't matter to me. Pit stops are going to look the same to me. You know, guys are still going to have the potential to make mistakes, do it wrong, do it better, do it faster. And and to be clear for anybody that doesn't know that they're changing to an eighteen inch aluminum wheel, and yeah. so the engineering behind that is to say that five lug nuts on an eighteen inch uh, aluminum wheel isn't going to be as safe as. They, I think they even had the, some yeah. numbers and percentages, like 30% less durable or whatever it is. Right. But that being said, that's the, that's the reason. That's the logic. Well, yeah, whatever it is, it, it doesn't matter. I don't feel like arguing over it. I don't feel like fussing over it and tweeting about it. And you know what I do want to argue over and tweet about? The and, number. And argue, yeah, like, and fight for is where the number's located on the car. Now, all right, sponsorships change. They change weekly. Some teams have so many sponsors, right? They're running a different looking car every week, right? Yeah. The one thing that remains the same, the one thing that keeps the identity of that vehicle is the number, right? That is the one link, solid, consistent link to that driver week in and week out. And it's more important than ever now. Really, think about it. What you just said with sponsors changing. Oh. Yeah, he was, yeah. That's what it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I didn't know if you had another additional, like. Oh, pull. I'm I'm wounded you on a few hills. I'm I'm wounded on a few hills here, so don't mind me. You piped up like you had an additional. I know. I thought he was about to go on a soapbox. Yeah. No, I've got a soapbox, but I'm keeping my mouth damn mouth shut today. So, you know, the number where the number is matters to me. I don't want it on the back of the car or on the quarter panel. Now, sliding it back toward the right rear tire. Hey, yeah, I'm all right with that. Keep it on the door. All right, so this is the reason why I'm okay with them sliding it back, okay? Okay. It does have an old school sort of feel to it, but it also opens up. Basically, NASCAR took the contingency decals off the front fenders of the cars. That's right. Right? And they're trying, well, not NASCAR, the RTA. In conjunction with that, they're, they're trying to figure out how to sell that space. All right, now, if they slide the number back, that certainly opens up a larger area for a nice, visible logo to appear. 
All right. And like now, right on the door panel, like big right. logo, yeah. almost like as big as it is on the hood. Now, the logic behind this is get a logo big on the yeah. side of that car. Now, that is the, in, that's the point of trying to take the number and putting it on the rear quarter panel is that now you have the entire side of the car to put a, put a logo and a sponsor. All right. You know, and I get that, but it's, it's just too far. It's just too far away from tradition. It's just too far away from what I'm comfortable with to move it from outside of the, 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 of the tires, right? Now, if you take the number and slide it back to, to open up a little more space on that front, on that side of the car to put a logo, that's great. Or just keep it where it is. You would really be okay with that, though? I mean, like, I, like in, in your perfect scenario, you're saying don't change a thing. I but want if they the number to the back. Uh, they, all right, so NASCAR has made rules. I don't know if they relaxed these at all, but they made rules on, the, on the, the size that the number can be on the door. Did you know that? No. So they, they it's got to be a certain size. It can't, it, yeah, it can't exceed a template that they have, um, so that the number's not just basically taking up the whole Huge. side of the car, which um, I don't like. I, I feel like that it sort of boxes, it puts everybody in the same box. You know, it just make it takes away a little bit of creativity and and setting yourself apart and whatever you want to do with the number of your car, you, you you're limited now because there's this template that NASCAR wants you to fit into. All right, so I, I would have made the 88s on my car bigger. All right. Oh wow! Yeah, I thought they were they were just a little small for me. Wow! Okay. All right, they've made that change. They've made they they've limited the size and what the, what the number can how, how big the boxes can be for the number. Right? I just think that the number needs to stay in between the tires. Like it can be slid forward, it can stay in the center, or it can slide slide back. Mm-hmm. But don't take it off the side of the car. Did you did you find this on Twitter by? By chance, was that where yeah. you saw this? Okay, so Reddit. like Na- you would, I have to say that I found it through NASCAR uh, Reddit. Reddit, okay. Yeah. And so they basically they had a graphic of how many options is this six? Yeah. And then I saw your tweet where you're like, "There's you, really only two options in your world, in their of the uh, of the six that yeah. they got right." So you're not a, an official voice in this, you know, as far as the fan goes. You'd like to be. I got it. I, I'm uh, I, I'm still formulating my opinion on that. You know where I struggle? I struggle with. Wanting to be a purist, but also, you know, I struggle with, you know, wanting to keep the sport going and keeping up with the trends, you know, and, and, and the, and in fact, in so, fact, that's, that's how I, you know, I apply my logic with the, the single lug nut wheel. Yeah. Um, is it, listen, I, yeah, sure. I'd love five lug nuts, but you know, if we're supposed to keep up with the trends and, and everything, I, there's a lot of other things that are more concerning to me than the freaking lug nuts, which yeah. I hardly ever think about during a race. So there's trends and, and, Streetcars to have single lugs? I don't mean it that way. I mean oh, okay. it in the trends in the keeping our sport relevant in the future, tw- you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. You, but, but my point is, is that lug nuts don't really fit that. And I don't know if numbers fit that for me personally. What, you know, I'm more concerned about, you know, the generation that has l- a little bit less of a passion for the automobile than their dads did or the rise of esports and that kind of thing. So I struggle from a purity standpoint and a traditional standpoint. But also want to, I, I gotta want to keep the, to get the sport to keep up with the times too. And then here you land in the argument of money versus identity, and identity is super important. And that's your point. What do people identify with? Because we think that we we know that that's the key to your heart. It, you know, you gotta identify and have a relatability to stuff. So you don't want to go jeopardize the relatability factor, much in the way the car tomorrow did. Yes. Um. And and you got to have an identity and and I so I see your point on that, 
Um, I just don't know what the, you know, there's some things that NASCAR's changed that I thought would have bigger effect on the identity. But frankly, after the rules changed, I don't think anybody really get noticed it after yeah. that, after the, the big overreaction for the first week, you know, or something like that. I hear you. The, um, so the COT, there was a point in NASCAR when you could look out across the racetrack and pick out a Chevy and a Ford and um, immediately recognize uh, the models and, and, and the cars, right? And then we got to a point where that was all very difficult to do. Almost gone. That was bad for us to lose the brand identity of the manufacturers, and the manufacturers suffered for it. And their ability to really get behind the sport and pu- and promote and and invest in the sport became challenging because they couldn't get a return on it because their car wasn't obviously recognizable out there on the racetrack. So we've gotten some of that back, a lot of it back, really. To be honest with you, when you look at the noses of the cars, they are not as similar as they used to be. They've they've got their own sort of uh, markings and grills and, and, and character lines and so forth that set them apart, which is great. The more we can keep that identity, the better. I feel like that this is a, is a similar situation to where if you take that number and you minimize it, uh, you place it somewhere um, on the car where it's not as uh, easily uh, visible, you're basically taking the identity away from that car, connecting that connects it to that driver. Yeah. Okay. So when you think about Daryl Waltrip, you think about number eleven, number seventeen. When you think about Dale Jarrett, you think of eighty-eight. Think of the number, right? You think of the number. Um, you often think of the number before you do the the sponsor, and um, you know, and it's even that's even tougher now because. Teams have so many different schemes. I remember I agree. in the 90s, it was crazy when a guy was going to run a different paint scheme. And they did that on select events. Like All-star races. All-star races. Race. Like, oh, man, all-star race is going to be – he's going to have an orange car. Right. It's crazy. Dad ran a black car every year, week in and week out. He's going to have a silver car? What? Yeah. All right. Now, that was crazy. Yeah. Now, I mean, guys are changing cars and colors and sponsors week in and week out out of necessity. It's not a big deal. It's not talked about. And I feel like that, why? Is because that number is the identity, the link from the, from the car to the driver. If you take that number away, if you minimize it, make it small, make it in, in, insignificant, how in the heck can you tell who's who, right? When you're looking at cars. Coming, with, with all the sponsors changing all the time, yeah. right? Who is it? Who, who are you I, watching? I would, God, it would be hard for the spotters to even know which I'm cars like, it is. Yeah, I'm watching, if I'm watching the cars on the racetrack, Restart. I don't know who's where. What the hell? That's you know? a good point. Yeah, you're um, making your case. So, I just feel like that they got to be careful there. I, and you know what? I've learned to NASCAR's credit, the survey is a survey. Right. It wasn't supposed to be. It, it wasn't supposed yeah. to be a news item. It wasn't. Right. And, and this is not new, by the way. This has been talked about for a decade. Maybe that's why I'm not on the survey email. Right. right. Because I would make. I guarantee it. <laughs> I would make all of the. I would make all of the selections public. Have such a. <laughs> it's basically to get everyone's temperature on it, and I feel like that NASCAR is going to walk away with that information, and you know make the correct choice. Um, and so maybe it's all maybe we're you know maybe I'm getting in getting all torn up about it for nothing, but certainly. No, you give a crap. I mean, you know, you care about it, so that's that's good. But if you look at the history of motorsports, um, ASA tried this. They in did. the 2000s, and it looked 
Awful. Awful. Yeah. Awful. I forgot and, and about that. NASCAR, so if you look at NASCAR's history, uh, they've allowed it a little on the E-Series, but you got to go all the way back to, like, um, the 50s with the Hudson cars that would put the numbers on the co- rear yeah. quarter panels. That was cool because you had the fabulous Hudson Hornet. If you've got, like, you know – uh, some just name some sponsor on the side of it. Uh, you're right. The identity is the number, and I think that it should stay between the doors. I would if it if the cars were if if you know if you knew that you know your favorite driver was going to be driving this paint scheme every single week, then you could probably make an argument that the number's not quite as critical, right? Yeah, because right. You, could you, make that argument. you could recognize this car every time you see it on the track, but they're changing cars and sponsors and stuff so often. Out of necessity, that the number's really the last link yeah. to identity on on and it's, kind of a brand. It is a brand. It really. Oh, it, 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 when an entity loses or a person, when you lose your identity, what you want to be known for, what people can relate to, then you've really lost all of your equity, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, and all the stuff that you've built up because identity matters a lot. You know, as far as this show goes, you know, this show formed an identity. Over time, and we try to protect that identity. To a lot of times, and we, you know, if there's a, you know, if there's sponsors on the show that uh, or potential sponsors, that, but it doesn't really fit our identity or Dale's brand, we turn it away. You got to be able to, you got to preserve your identity on what you want your show to be. Otherwise, you know, those, those identities that just, or those, you know, just kind of ambling around and not, not, uh, not really know what you are. It doesn't really work in the long game. Yeah. You make a good point. So if you go back to the to the five lug route, you don't care. Oh God. Don't care. Bother you. Matthew. Don't, uh, don't Matt, even ask me. Don't Why? ask you. Don't ask. Come on. You're here. This Matthew. I'm willing is a to get wounded on that hill. You are. Uh, I, when, when I bring new people to a NASCAR race, okay, here's my argument. My initial argument was what you said about you know the uh, they're not on the street cars, so I don't want to see them on on mm-hmm. there. I mean, it, uh, there's what exotics, a Porsche. That's about it. That have a single right. Lug. So let's. But not... I, I get you here. We get we got 18 inch wheel. They need the single lug for the integrity of the wheel. It's a safety thing. They've made that clear. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. Yeah. My whole thing with that is I bring people down. I used to bring people down to pit road. Hey, if you're here for a first NASCAR race and you have pit passes, stay till the first pit stop. Watching the artistry of the pit stop, which won't change as far as them right. running around the car, but the skill level that's involved in hitting those lugs. And I know from a driver that makes you nervous because if you miss one, it's a little shaky. Which they, they at do times often. started doing on purpose. But it's, but it's, an incre- it's an incredible process, the pit stop, the artistry of a pit stop. And I don't, I'm scared of losing that tradition. You know, a lot of things I've been wrong at. I was totally wrong with the, the, the chase, the playoffs. I didn't like it at first, but by God, it's awesome. This one I'm a little more scared of. But, but if they're not God, losing would, members. If, if you, if, I'm sorry, Mike. You're right. If you had, if you had two dominoes standing there and said which one's <laughs> going to take the sport down all right which one's going to be a negative the playoffs or the single lug and he would go yeah. with single lug no and i was wrong about the the, the playoffs i was the like a hater of it yeah. and i think it's well great. i mean I, we all were yeah because it felt like a knee-jerk reaction to matt kenseth winning a championship <laughs> right. uh, consistency yeah. you know how, but that, how but dare, that, but how dare a, he do that? That's a good example of people that want, love tradition and love the sport that you grew up on, and then change. Nobody likes change, yeah, and we so can admit we're wrong. It, it, but but we can also admit we we want the sport to be around for a long time, and Heck so yeah. if if you know, I sometimes just, you have to <clears throat> just rely on the people that that run the sport to make decisions. They're they're obviously in in the long game as well, and um, 
I just don't think the lug nuts thing, frankly, I, I don't, I don't apply the lug nut situation to my definition of a stock car. Frankly, I really? know why you. It just doesn't occur change, to me in my mind. You change a car on the wait, side wait, of the road, wait. are you hitting a single lug? Well, if we wanted to get real traditionalist, then the, the cars would pull off to the shoulder, pop the trunk, go into the floorboard, pull out a spare tire, you know, assemble the, the jack, uh, you know, the four-piece jack thing, and just wind that son of a bitch up, wouldn't they? But that's not what they do. Yep. So nothing that they do in changing tires applies to my life. <laughs> So that's why I guess I don't really look at it and, and, and define it as a stock car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We are so beyond, I mean, it's decades. The, the, stock, the stock in the stock car has been gone for decades. True. You know, and I mean, I'd love to go back to looking out across the racetrack and, and seeing what really looks just like a production car going around there, but it's not, we're so far removed from it. It's an impossible ask. And this is just such a small menial thing in the grand scheme of what makes the sport work and not work. And what, what we need to really concern ourselves with um, single lug versus five lug is a blip on the radar of what real, what, what, I think the you know the real concerns are about the future of the sport and how we get better and how we improve. You know this whole car, the lug, the single lug, is a tiny, tiny fraction of so much change that this new car is going to bring in. Right. So this car is completely unlike anything. It's not similar at all, really, to the car they drive today. It's going to be a huge, huge shift away from. You know, what we know as is, is a stock car and, a, and what we know as a NASCAR stock car, you know. Mm. Um, and so this, it's funny because people are making such a big deal out of this single look thing. But, I mean, there is, if that's like a, a lot, there's a long, long list of things that are changing about the car that they drive today and the new car coming next, next year or 2021. So, you know, I hope we don't have to have this conversation about all those items that are going to be uh, different. Uh, but we'll see. It's been interesting, man, because, uh, you know, they, they said they made a lot of changes on the, uh, I guess this is the, the third version that they're testing today. Um, they improved the ability for the teams to work on the car, change shot, uh, change sway bars and springs and shocks and so forth, because it apparently was very difficult to, to f- change some of those items. And I can't wait to really lay my eyes on one of these cars. And I want to wait a while. I know, right? I want to wait because it's so early. There's some open tests later in the year, and there's a lot of tests. I was looking on, I think Matt, uh, was it Matt Weaver? His, uh, he had a list of, uh, you know, on his social media, he had the schedule for all the tests. And there's a lot of testing going on all year long with this new uh, gen- generation car. and Yeah. It's going to make so many. I remember when the COT came out, it was so bad. I mean, it was obviously still bad when we were done for making it, you know, and then we began to race it. It was an awful car. But man, the very first few, you know, r- versions of that car were so freaking bad. Oh, that that were being tested. Yeah, oh. so slow and terrible. Oh, really? It drove like crap. I mean, it drove <laughs> worse than it did when it finally got. Do you have a last... little bit of concern about the next gen car being, you know, such a uh, uh, an abrupt change to what we're used to that it's it's well, going to be the wrong car? No, I don't. Um, I don't feel like that it'll really look. I don't. One thing that I think will be. Uh, the racing to me will not. I'm if I had to bet, right? I can't. I can't assume anything. None of us can. But if I had to guess, I 
eh, the racing's probably not going to look different. I got you. The cars are going to be visually shaped differently in some ways. You can see pictures of the car on the uh, the internet. It's a little different looking, but you know when they're all out there together, it's going to look pretty much the same as it's always looked. And the wheels look cool. Yeah, you, hey, this besides guy, besides the single lug, this guy likes the wheels. Um, you know, some people will like the wheels. Some people will like this and that and the other. And uh, we still haven't seen anything yet uh, as far as the different manufacturers this is kind of like the same car they keep bringing with the same body yeah over and over right and I, I imagine i don't know how far you know how much more change has to happen with that to make the cars um unique from manufacturer to manufacturer because that's so important we talked about the brand identity but i think was, there's a lot there's a lot still to be learned about this car and a lot, i'm gonna sit back and wait i'm not gonna get too opinionated about what's going on right now because <laughs> yeah I, you, 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 that's all good. You are the most opinionated, uh, just, instinctual person. I mean, you, you, I just made my case. Single lug, five lug. Don't you care. did. Don't I care. know you did, but th- that's good. That's good. But man, wait till the next change comes out. And who knows what it is? What if they, uh, you know, what if they got wings on the side of the new next generation car? Ain't no way they're doing that. <laughs> all right, cool, man. I don't think we got anything else. We got Phoenix coming up. We do. All yeah. right. Yeah. You know what's going on at Phoenix? One last thing for an open discussion. What's that? Short spoiler. Oh. Oh, thank God. Get rid of that. Oh. <laughs> Big deal now. Not, you know, this the, with the single lug and, and all the other things going on in the sport, um, <laughs> this has kind of been overlooked. But NASCAR is going back uh, toward a shorter spoiler for the short track package this year. This will be an important, important race to for those people who are pro you know, low downforce. Yeah. All right. So if we have a spectacular event, it's great for that argument. Um, I think they should take the spoilers off entirely mm. and wow. see how that works. See how they drive that thing. But um, see if they can drive that. Yeah. Boy, that'd be some so, carnage. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that they have a spectacular race and and that this shorter spoiler is the answer uh, to help these guys be able to get around each other. Um, at, at the short tracks, you know they're going to run it at all the short tracks this year, including some of the uh, tracks that aren't short tracks like Phoenix. Mm. <laughs> oh, wait a second! I know what you just did there. I know what you just did there. Yeah, a little right, po- politician there. What's up, download listeners? It is the biggest time of the year right now for college basketball, and I will tell you, regardless of who makes it to the final game in the tourney, one thing is for certain. It takes the most talented people working together to help these teams play at the next level, and if you are hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level, and how do you do that? Zip Recruiter. That's right, man. We just went through a big hiring process ourselves, mm-hmm. and it was helpful to have Zip Recruiter's powerful technology, which starts showing you qualified people for it immediately after you post your job. Yeah, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Pick Zip Recruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on Zip Recruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try Zip Recruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, it's time for a little DIY. Not just any DIY, guys. It's I'm talking about Valvoline DIY. And this ain't an ad read. We have a question for you, Dale. And really, let's all chime in here because I think it could be all of us here. What's the last thing you did 
by yourself, not having anyone else help, to one of your vehicles. The last thing you did to one of your vehicles. Be honest. All right? Dale, you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I had a little small car um, at a vacation home down in Florida, and it would sit for a while Mm -hmm. between visits. And every time I'd go down there, the battery would be dead, and I would have to uh, replace the battery. So I think that's probably the last... Battery changer. I had an... uh, I had a problem with the radio in my 48 pickup truck, and uh, I did a little investigating, but I didn't fix the radio. Right. You had to go diagnose the problem. Yeah, probably. battery works. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you know what I did? So I got a power switch, like a race car has, on-off. Cuts, ba- cuts, cuts any kind of connection to the battery, and it's in the console of the truck. It's a little ammo box. Think about an old beat-up, rusty truck. Yeah, yeah, consoles yeah. and ammo box this is like an old yes old all improvised box. and so it's got a little power switch down there and i left it on and i flew somewhere for the weekend maybe daytona it was i can't remember but i came back truck was dead mm. so i went to jump the truck off and i hooked it up hooked up the jumper instead of going to where the battery was mm-hmm. which is in the floorboard of the passenger side of the truck which is tough to get to I tried to jump the truck off from that power switch in the console, and I fried the radio. Oh. I had the radio wired directly up to this thing as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I just put this. It was like a little Bluetooth boat sort of radio, yeah, transmitter or whatever. Yeah, not a not a head unit, but um, it melted all that stuff. It cooked it. Well, almost kind of innovation. I, I liked it. Uh, last thing I did, I mean, I had a flat tire, so I had to change a tire. It, I mean, I, I know that's not a very sexy answer, but it literally, you're asking what the last thing I did on my own. It is what it is. Uh, you know, and with those, uh, you know, Chevy Silverados, you know, you got to yeah. get that thing up off the ground. You gotta... Were you wishing at that particular time that this was a single lug? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, uh, yeah, a single lug would have been, would have been great, right? Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, that's, that's an ironic, that's an ironic situation right there, isn't it? Based yeah. off of the, uh, conversations this well, that, week. That was mine too. That was off of 85. You had to change a tire? Yeah. Had, yeah. Cold morning, but I was proud. I, hey, do, do you time yourself? <laughs> I thought of like a remember Christmas story where he gets out and he's like, you know, pretending like, here we go. Uh, here's the stopwatch, honey. Time me. Like I felt like that, but I had nobody with me hmm. to do it. It oh, would have been fun challenge. I time myself with everything. Yeah. Yeah. You time yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Leah? That sounds like a, a Griswold kind of thing. Well, you know where it starts from? Clark. Yeah. The, Clark's going to time himself. The the very first flat tire I ever had, um, I was, you know, a teenager, and uh, I was in our church parking lot, and I remember a guy saying, when I had I changed the tire, and I needed help at the time because I wasn't, it's was the first time I'd ever done it, yeah. and he said to me, You'll never make it on Richard Petty's pit crew. <laughs> and ever since then, I, I have that in my head. So it's like, okay, can I get on Richard Petty's pit crew? What's my situation? <laughs> I'm on the shoulder of the road, you know, I gotta be safe. But I always think about that. That's probably yeah. what you thought of since you're a big Petty fan. Yeah. What about you, Leah? Um, does putting gas in it count? Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I don't think oh. it does. Um. Yeah, I got nothing. You I, got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I mean, I take it to the dealership and get the oil change when it needs it, but I don't do that myself. Yeah. yeah. And, and and your boyfriend's a crew chief. If you did that stuff well, yourself, you, th- then then shame did. on him. I watched him do something on Sunday. He fixed a, a battery cable in the truck that was bad. 
but I didn't do it. I just watched, so I didn't, I didn't think that counted. Wouldn't it be something if you and Taylor are driving around and then, you know, he makes you change the flat? I mean, like, <laughs> what's up with that, right? If he were to be that guy? They'd still be on the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we got. All right, good. A special thanks to Valvoline for sponsoring the DJD and the DIY segment. To find the right product for any engine, please visit Valvoline.com slash Dale. Valvoline, trusted for 150 years. Here he is. <laughs> Here he comes. James Finch is in the house. Come on. last. Have a seat, James. This is this is a treat right here. I can tell you already. I get up and shake your hand, but I got a cold, so well, don't. Yeah, I don't want. He, he don't want you to pass that on to you. Wow, welcome, man. How you been, man? Gosh. You look great. You do. I'm hanging together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you something. I don't know that we've had as much anticipation for a guest uh, yeah. as we have this week with you. A lot of people are excited to have you in the house, and uh, man, we are too. So thank you for making it happen. Yep. Yes. Where'd you come from? Panama City. Yeah. When did you when did you get here? Last night. Last night. How's Panama City? Panama City's good, but you had the hurricane come through there and blow everything away. But yeah. Other than that, they still cleaning up and getting squared away. The beach is doing good. Is that, that right? Does Phoenix Construction have anything to do with that in the cleanup? Oh yeah. 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 And doing that and some road work. And How is the construction company? Is that good? Been good. Okay. Because that's but, where it all started, right? Yeah, I work full time now. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't have your, uh, you're there for the weekends now. You don't do that. How's life after racing? Man, I tell you what, bored as hell. Are you? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've been going a few races and short track races and stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. super late mile stuff. And you right. still support some teams out there. Oh, yeah. 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 So what came first, construction company or racing? Racing. Why did you get involved in racing? Well, I was working at a service station. I was about nine or ten years old, and uh, they had a little zoo out back, and I'd have to feed the bucky and the bear and the lion and fill up the cars when they a come co- in. A zoo at the convenience store? No, or it was a, a service station. A service station. Had a zoo? Uh-huh. Behind it. You okay. know, had some snakes and <laughs> stuff like As that. As all service stations do. Where yeah, was this know, at? You know, used to, when you come to Florida, you've seen the signs to see the monkey, see yeah. the eagle. See the alligator. Oh, yeah, I got you. I got you. It's a long time ago. <laughs> and so... Uh, and we did that, and uh, the guy that had the service station had a race car. And he got cranking that thing up and got to mess with it. It just totally mesmerized me, and I've been screwed up ever since. Yeah. Did you ever drive? A little bit. I wasn't very good at it. I had yeah. to go to work. I didn't have no money. So that's how I got to be an owner. I was working construction, you know, uh, working down the Panama Canal and around to come back. And one of my friends was racing my other friends, and so I got to help him a little bit, so... I wound up owning a car. He quit paying, and, and so that's that's how I got to be a car owner. And how old were you about then? I was probably <laughs> 23 or 4 years old. Okay, early 20s. That's your first time being a car owner. Uh-huh. And, boy, you were in the game for a long time and still are. Long time. Yeah, and because and, uh, you, you – know, what do you own right now, like as far as cars go? Your, your son's racing? Is that right? Yeah, he's got a little outlaw. He's, he's been – An outlaw. Yeah. Gotcha. So, outlaw late model. Yes, so uh, – it's a late model car with a eight inch tires and a two barrel. Uh-huh. That sounds it's, fun. So we started that, and I took him up to uh, uh, Cleveland to the All Star Game, the Home Run Derby, and all. So I went by Hutter's there and said, "Hey, man, you got to build uh, me a motor." Hutter, yeah, long time engine guy. Oh Ron yeah, Hutter. Ron Hutter. Ron Hutter, yeah. So I mean, he was. I went by there and so he built me a motor, and so I got a car, and so 
<laughs> we got squared away. So yeah. you got a, a Hutter engine in the, in your kid's car. Oh yes. And 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 what is it? I imagine that that does all right for him then, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. I mean Hutter Hutter was you know I remember I was racing Hutter Motors when I went up uh, nationwide racing or bush racing back then. And yep. We were in Nashville and uh, Tony Senior come to me and says, "Man, says how do I get in touch with Hutter?" He said, I just got an argument with Fisher here, and Fisher said he's on the pole in California. And he, I told him, I said, if he'll invert the damn field, we'll be on the pole here. <laughs> <laughs> so I got him Hutter's information and all that, and y'all started doing the Hutter Motors. Yeah. Power. Torque. Great. Lots of torque. Great guy. He yeah. was. Uh, you ran him? I ran him in 98, 99. Won the championship. Oh, yeah. Nasty. You had Hutter man. engines in the championship years? They yeah. were great. Hey. Yeah, Ron. You had to. Yeah. Hutter was the man because he was the one that. Blue, y'all had Blue on here. When he went yeah. up to uh, Gary Blue, Syracuse, yeah. Hutter did that deal. Hutter and uh, uh, Kenny Whale. All yeah, when up. he went up there with that ground effects car. That's right. That was yeah. a Hutter motor. Mm-hmm. He was two and a half seconds faster in the field. Yeah. And he had about 200 cars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's like Monday and Friday. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is. Yeah. But that was Ron Hutter. And uh, Hutter built all of uh, the modified driver that was so good out of Virginia. And he beat Jerry Cook all those times. Oh, and the Jerry, uh, Ray uh, Hendrick. No, Ray? no, well, that was a Jack Tant. Uh, no, Jack Tant, but yeah, it was. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame there now. Uh, he was one of the first ones they put in the Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Was a modified driver. Oh, Richie Evans. Richie Evans. Richie. Yeah. See, Ron did all of Richie's motors. Yeah, that's interesting. So he's been around man, a long he time. He has. So it, I went up there and he was getting a knee operated on. And I said, man, he couldn't hardly walk. So they was going. He said, well, I got to go get this knee squared away, and then I'll build your son a motor. And so he did that. Yeah. You mentioned Baloo. Baloo's from down in Florida. Um, did you race against him much? Yeah. I wor- raced against him, and then he worked for me, and he drove, he, did? For, he drove for me. Yeah. When did he drive for you? Well, first time he got out of school. He got, he got, <laughs> yeah. He come back. And, <laughs> the first time he got, got out of school. In the 80s? <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he was from down south Florida, and I was from north Florida. Okay. And he had a kid that was Jeff Gordon's crew chief and won two or three championships. And he Ray? Went, no, went to work with Petty over there. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Loomis. Robbie, Robbie Loomis. Loomis. Yeah. He was a golfer for Blue. Oh, wow. Running around. No kidding. You know, yeah, he's streaking through the garage sometime, you know, when the streaking was popping and stuff. Like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> what? Robbie Loomis is streaking through the, the garage, yeah. garage? No kidding. Yeah. Okay. I bet Loomis yeah. didn't know that that story would ever yeah. happen, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Robbie, Robbie did a real good job later on in life. He did. Yeah. yeah. Blue finally got sorted out. He was um, he was a lot of fun to have on here. You know, yeah. I read his book, and uh, and he came on here, and now he's doing some documentary. So uh, yeah. it's been pretty interesting to, to, to hear about him. Yeah, he was, him. he was something else back then. I asked him, I was, like, I was like, so all right, you, you got busted for smuggling, and then you got out. You're okay. You're racing. You're winning, and you started smuggling again. You had to have known that they were watching your ass. How? Why in the hell would you go right back to it? And he's like, "Man, I was broke. I couldn't believe it." Well, I'm like, "Damn, though, dude. You're you're like you were like <laughs> you were back. You, you, you got, got a your freaking bullseye all over your back. Right, right. You got some heat on you. Yeah. Well, Lay he was, low a little he was bit. doing he was doing that when we were short track racing. I mean, everybody mount up eight or ten tires, you know, and he'd mount up forty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We've yeah, had but, some. We've heard some great stories. So I was at uh, work one day, and this lawyer called me from South Florida, and said, uh, "I'm so and so with so and so law firm or whatever." I said, "Do you know a uh, Gary Blue?" I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "He's give me your name and was saying that uh, you might help him get out on bond." <laughs> oh, 
I said, uh, what's, he, what's he in for? He said, well, it's kind of like importation of narcotics. I said, you mean running dope? He said, yeah. He said, I said, what did they catch him with or whatever? And he said, well, they caught him with two or three kilos, uh, two kilos. I said, well, he must have started with three. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, golly. I mean, knowing him, he'd see the Coast Guard and try and outrun him, you know. Sure, yeah. sure. And, uh, but he, he, he was a good guy. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Did you get him out? Did you no, get, no, no, no. You stayed out of that thing. Yeah, I stayed out of that. Yeah. I didn't want. I didn't want to lose my Don't money. Don't call that James way. Finch. No, <laughs> not right. for that. Not for that. <laughs> so we called around asking some people that you know about some stories about you, and uh, apparently uh, you you'd gotten hurt jumping motorcycles at a fair. Yeah. Is, what were you jumping motorcycles at a fair for? Trying to make some money. You were like a stuntman. Well, well, part time. Like a no, chip, like second, a Joey Chitwood kind of. Yeah, jumping jumping cars. You know they were gonna pay a thousand dollars for somebody to. How jump. old are you at this point? That's about twenty twenty one. Right. They was gonna pay a thousand dollars for a guy to jump eight or ten cars, eight cars I think. And I was making about three hundred a week working on a drag line, toting fuel about a mile into the swamp, you know, and all that. And I said, "That's me." I said, "You know, I can do that. You'll do that." Had you had you been riding no, bikes? No, no, well, not but I'd ridden them all, so I had to go borrow it back. <laughs> so, so I went bar to back and sailed over the cars, you know, slid down, you know, and popped up, and all the little girls going crazy and all that. And I said, "Man, this is pretty good right here," and made a thousand dollars in about five minutes. I said, "I'm not going back to that drag line." Right. So I tried it a few more times, and so we went up to jump at, at a racetrack over there. It was a dirt track, and uh, sailed over the cars and hit the dirt and end over the end, all the mud up under the helmet and all, and it was about 30 degrees, and they come out there with a water hose washing me all off, and about 30, <laughs> 30 degrees. And so I said, you know, I probably need to get my job back. Yeah. So you That up. was it. Yeah. It was the mud and the and the cold. Yeah, yeah, one night you got banged up, and they took you to the hospital and ended up, your buddies ended up getting drinking and leaving you in the truck overnight. Or Damn near died. Right. How'd that happen? Well, they took me to the hospital, and uh, they loaded up everything. They come to the hospital, and then I was up, and uh, I broke both my collarbones, knocked all my toenails off, Ouch. end over end. How you and, toenails? Yeah, well, I had had some plastic shoes. Why, you know, had I had yeah. more, more stars evils, than evil, you know. Of, yeah, so, yeah. so when I went end over end down the asphalt, the more plastic shoes just kind of blew up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, wait, all right. Well, first of all, getting your toenails ripped off, underrated uh, injury right there. Yes. I never even thought about that. Oh, that would hurt. Yeah. Did you have a, a, a suit? Yeah, had, had a leather suit and all, and it was, had the white plastic-type boots, yeah. you know, with a zip up in the side. <laughs> so, so anyway, I said, let's get out of here. So we got a wheelchair. They rolled me out of the hospital and had a, a Dodge long van, and we got in the back seat of the van and had a uh, – a couch in there and had to had a 400 yamaha two-stroke strapped down in there so i laid down on the couch and then i had my collarbones broke so i couldn't get up so when they pulled up to the to the motel and they said you want to go in i said no i'm just gonna lay here and that was about two or three o'clock in the morning well about 10 o'clock the next morning it was about 120 degrees in that van and that two-stroke was leaking uh, gas oh, all in man. there, and I was just about to gas completely out, you know. So 
hell, they don't get up to about one o'clock, you know, and they come down and check on me, and I'm blue about that time. Yeah. Wow, that's dangerous. <laughs> Everything that was, about it, yeah, every story I got here is uh, got some sort of element of danger. Yes, like uh, but uh, that's what happened. So I, I got my job back. Did you? Yeah. There's a lot of there's one story in particular, but there's a lot of different versions of it. And I want you to figure uh, tell us which one is the truth. But you ended up you bulldozed your house down. Why? And I've heard <laughs> yeah. I've heard. That it was because a girlfriend wouldn't move out. Then I heard it was because of an of a mother in law annoying you with her ideas on how to renovate it. That's the way it was. It was and my wife at the time and my mother in law was redoing the house and they was taking a window out and we'd rented this little bitty apartment and I stayed in this apartment, we go stay in there for about a month and I'd been in it about four months and they were still messing with the doors and messing with this and so I go over there one day and they go into town to do something, and so I send to the shop and get some dump trucks and a big 966 front end loader. When they get back, I push the whole house down, the swimming pool out, and we load it up, and it's going down the road. So my mother-in-law pulls up there, and she <laughs> she white-eyes and falls out in the road there. You know, really? passes out just so they get the ambulance to her. It wasn't long after that I was divorced, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, can't imagine, all... <laughs> I can't imagine that happening, yes. the outcome so, of this. So the house that... <laughs> it was the house that you come in was the second time yes. I built it. The next time the storm come in, got water in the house, and also I was cleaning up the storm all for the county and all, and I was late getting my house uh, Fixed. redone, yeah. so I went and pushed it down again. It oh, you bulldo- up. you bulldozed it a second time? Second time, so... Every time a diesel truck would come through the neighborhood, everybody get shaky there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> right. You had to bulldoze in houses. Yeah. You know what? It does sound fun. Like if, if, if you had the, you, yeah, you yeah. got the, you got the loader out there and started uh, knocking down house, but that yeah. was a, pl- a planned demolition. That, that was, uh, that, that was, a, that was the plan. He just on a whim just decides he's going to just knock it down Yeah. to make a point. Yeah. I did that on one of my rental houses too. Well, had married. Well, yeah. Had a rental house there, and I couldn't get them to pay the rent, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they was in there. So I went over there and I cut the water off and turned the power off. Well, they just got them a bunch of blankets, set on the couch. That didn't they, teach they, them. They, they, wasn't, they wasn't doing nothing. <laughs> so they called a law to me. So the law come around there and said, "Hey, man, you can't do that." And I said, well, "What do you mean I can't do that? They're not paying, or you know, whatever." He says, well, you, you, you can't do that. I said, well, did you bring the rent for him? He said, no. I said, oh, well, I'm going to take care of this. So he left. So I took a, a 400 uh, crawler hoe over there, back hoe, and I stuck the bucket in the top of the house and shook it a little bit, and they come out like a bunch of rats. Wow. So I just pushed <laughs> the whole damn house down and solved that problem. That was the end of that. <laughs> when, when did you start not giving a damn? <laughs> Long time. Were you born that way? Pretty much, yeah. Like, does somebody tell you you can't do something? Does that ever work? Well, I mean, it was you can't do something, but I mean, if you own a house, you can push it down if you want to, I think. I, sure. But the, yeah. it's the fact that it even across your mind as an option is what is, is makes you definitely unique. Well, I mean, I couldn't get them out any other way. <laughs> Being nice wasn't getting it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. One might think that you would just, you know, divorce the wife first before you knock down your house. But it went at, it went in the opposite way, right? right you knocked yeah. down the house, then it led to the divorce. But yeah. hey, this is what makes you you. Yeah, yeah. I just try. I, I fight my own battles, but <laughs> never have I thought the ding just go mow the house down. <laughs> right. 
So, okay, so you, you, you mow your house down. What other crazy stories did you hear from people? Randy LaJoy. So I text Randy right. and asked Randy if he had any good stories. He said 1997, he is going to drive down to Daytona, and he had this brand-new chop-top supercharged work truck. Yes. Uh, just beautiful truck that he'd been working on that he just finished, and he wants to drive it all the way down to Daytona. He drives it to Daytona. you got your ARCA team there. You're in the garage with the ARCA garage with your hauler. He's a driver in Xfinity Series, but he parked his truck next. He parked his little work truck next to your hauler uh, in the uh, Arca garage. He goes over to the Bush garage to practice, and he came back and he said, "Is you've been feeding the so- seagulls all day long around his truck, so they shit <laughs> all over." <laughs> <laughs> well, I was chumming. There was a lot of seagulls there, you know, around the pond at, at Daytona yeah. in, in uh, the lake there. So I started throwing up some bread to get a few of them there. Well, in a few minutes, I had 2,000 theirs, and they just covered the truck. Covered it. <laughs> what did the joy say? That's a great idea. Oh, man, he liked to have. He was upset, but he had, it was purple and I remember that silver. truck. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it, but it, anyway, they, they, they repainted it. Those seagulls did. <laughs> <laughs> but you and Randy, he was pretty good friendship. He oh, drove yeah. for you for a while Yes, in the Xfinity Series. Yeah, Randy won two races, I think, for me, he Nashville did. and uh, uh, Daytona. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, was he your first wins in the Xfinity Bush Series? Uh, no. Then? Who, who was? Purvis. Purvis was. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Pur- Purvis was somebody you latched on to a long time ago. Uh, maybe one of your first. How, how how did you and Purvis actually get together? At a racetrack. You know, I, I raced against him. I had a guy named Buddy Boutwell that drove for me. And we were racing against Purvis. And uh, me and him got hooked up and I hired Purvis. Okay. And he drove for you a long time. About 12 years. Wow. You're dirt, no, you're, mostly in dirt cars? Dirt cars, yeah. I got some. I brought I want to show you a few minutes in the dirt cars. We won a lot of races in the dirt cars. Yeah. And uh, that was in 84, 85. Oh, wow. Somewhere in there. We'd won a bunch of races, and hell, I had free motors, free cars, free tires, free wheels, free everything. And I said, man, I need to improve on this and go asphalt racing. But we were at the World 100. It come about a five-inch rain there in about two hours. Couldn't even get out of the track. So somebody crawled on their stomach across the track and took a rope over there and tied it off so we could get out of the track. Oh, wow. So when we got in the car, the motel was probably 30 miles down the road, and we were just covered in mud and all that. And I said, you know what? I said, next time I go racing, I'm going to hear them high heels popping on that asphalt. <laughs> that That's why you win asphalt racing? Yes. I mean, I, I had a, but, but Purvis would run six years at the World 100. He won it three and run second three. So that was pretty yeah. good. pretty good deal there. He was a shoe. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the dirt car. He was he was, he was a deal. You worked with him, though, when you went asphalt racing. He went with you. you he ran your arc cars and so forth. So what made you want to – get into uh xfinity racing full-time i don't know but <laughs> well i'd got i short track raced for so long yeah and i'd done pretty much everything i do in uh short tracking and so we went to run the arca race at daytona we won the arca race was set on the pole for the bush race and qualified 12th for the daytona 500 we had five employees back then yeah, yeah that's right and you said what was the then? secret I yeah. don't know. I mean, we worked hard, but, you know, on the bush car, we sat on the pole. We were run, running really good. Uh, Larry McClure was a good friend of mine, and Runt was building the motors in the, in the Kodak car. Yeah. So he built me a 9-to-1, 
they had never built no nine to ones up there. And Hunter built me a nine to one. And so took it up to uh Runt and run his motor. And I never forget it. He he pulled run it two or three pulls and had four hundred and nine horsepower with a restrictor plate and all that. So we put the Hunter motor on, on there. In the first pull it was four twenty seven. And so he Runt said, You're gonna run this one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so we did that and we sat on the pole and we had to, they, they started putting the windows in, the right windows in the deal. Uh-huh. The second or third lap, it flew out, so they black flagged us. We come in four or five laps to get another window and all that, so that really messed that up. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. And in, in, in which race did you get black flagged? The, the, uh, the Bush Series race? Bush Series race, yeah, gotcha. because the window, right window yeah. come out, but the car was really good. And so it was us not knowing what to do, how to secure the wind and all that, it was a learning curve. Yeah, yeah but, boy, it, when you learned it, boy, y'all learned it big time. I mean, because you guys go to Daytona. And you're right. You would take almost every kind of car. If they had a race at Daytona, you took a car to enter it. and yeah. But no additional employees. No. And, and I was talking to uh, your longtime crew chief, Mark Reno, and he said that, you know, we would take an ARCA car, we would take the Bush car, we'd take a Cup car. And, uh, you know, I'd say to James, you know, we, we could use probably another employer to to help us get this stuff. And he's like, I don't know why. Y'all already going to be down there in the anyway. What, yeah. what, what's, what's your problem? That's right. But, the, but you guys were known for running all those races with the same five, six guys the whole time. We love Daytona, yeah. you know, and, and, and the speedways. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of, lot of uh, success at Richmond, you know. Richmond Rich- and Daytona, yeah. Yeah, Richmond. Richmond. And, uh How'd you get hooked up with Mark? Though? Mark was a well-respected guy in in the sport, um, pretty sharp crew chief, and and managed your program for a really long time. I was dirt racing, and uh, me and Purvis and him and Ernie Irvin come from California. Yeah, and so Ernie was running the the six owners, and we were running the late models and and Mark and the whole deal. And then we started running against each other at Concord. Swerving Irvin, and and so we got hooked up there, and then me and Mark got together, and uh, went from there. You know, like a you know Mark, he's been around a long, long time. And, you know, when I met Mark Martin, he was 15 years old. He was on the pole at Snowball Derby, and uh, Larry Shaw was the car builder. Ray Baker was the engine builder, and later on, me and Ray Baker gets hooked up, and you know, and the whole deal, but. Bill Davis was a gas man. Wow. And <laughs> so <laughs> he goes back a long way, and then your dad was there. He was uh, there with Daryl. Yeah. And uh, I think Eddie had a picture of uh, your dad doing the valves on Daryl's car there at the Snowball. No kidding. Yeah. Damn, I need I mean, to see he that. He might st- see, still have that. He he's, was, he's here. So, so Daryl is in the Snowball Derby, and you're saying Dale Earnhardt is is working with him. Yeah, uh, as a crew guy, he's over in the motor doing the uh, wow. Labs. It'd been Robert G's car. Yeah. Oh, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. That's cool. Yeah. Damn, when, I didn't know that. So with Daryl, first time I run into Daryl, he was there driving for Mike Alexander's daddy. Okay. In an 80, 84 Ford, uh, number eighty four Ford. Yeah. That's for Daryl went cup racing and all. Rick so. Hendricks was telling me a story. He's mentioned, I think Richmond uh, is where this happened. But apparently you, you're you an Xfinity owner at the time, and you all had a good run. And NASCAR sent you a check for $5,000 for finishing where you ran, and you sent it back to them, told them that they, they obviously needed it more than you because. Yeah. Well, it was, that was partially true. You know, with me and 
big hit at Spencer. Jimmy Spencer. <laughs> Spencer. And, so it, and he points to me because my first year in the sport, it was with Finch's team, and Jimmy Spencer was our driver. That's right. And we won Bristol, and I think we got $16,000 for winning Bristol. Huh. And I told him, I said, man, you know, an honest crook wouldn't even rob me leaving here. <laughs> <laughs> no more money than I got. You know, and there's 85,000 people up there. I said, what's that, 20 cent a head? So anyway, uh, Mike Heldon got on to me about it, you know, and, and then same at Richmond. I went one Richmond, and then, you know, NASCAR bought Richmond track, and uh, the next year we won it was less money. I said, you know. Oh, yeah. Ah, that, you know. Yeah, that, that one didn't slide by you. You had yeah. to point that out so like you you guys started winning these races is this how you you started a thing where you would just if y'all won the races you just pay the driver the full the full cut did was that a consistent thing mm-hmm. you did or was that just no I, I mainly was when we won the Talladega 500 uh I give uh Brad the whole check oh yeah the, 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 yeah the, the 2009 said, Talladega race where Kozlowski won Dang. yeah I just give him the whole check and I said listen your mom and dad's had a hard time out of here for a long time you take care of them. So, you know, a couple, three weeks later, I run into him. I said, Brad, did you do something pretty good for your mom and dad? He said, yeah. He said, I bought her a maid service for a year. I said, what? <laughs> I said, I thought you'd bought her a damn convertible. Right. But He yeah. got her maid service. How much was the check? Do you remember? I think it was 219000 or something. Okay. So that's that's good money. Brad had been running for us for a while. So yeah. That, that, yeah. That, he hadn't seen that kind of money yet until yeah. he won that race. Was it yeah. true that you were on the plane on the taxiway getting ready to take off when he crossed the finish line? No, I was in the uh, FBO watching it on the ah. TV. Okay. And when that happened, everybody said, I said, we just won that damn race. You want to tell me that? So they you know, there was a lot of confusion before they announced it, though. That's right, because so, of the wreck. Yeah, yeah, so then I was one guy trying to get back in and 100,000 people leaving. <laughs> yeah. How does that work out? The, logis- pretty, the logistics was, of that don't really work out. It was pretty well. hard to get back in. You, know? <laughs> you made it there. There's good pictures of you in Victory Lane, and y'all, yeah. y'all, are, y'all are celebrating and all. It, one of the most amazing races and, uh, you know, underrated stories, uh, upsets that I've I, I could think of. We had got in a wreck earlier in the race with uh, Mark Martin. He'd come across us, and we'd clipped the front end, and we'd had it patched up. And that was about 80 miles into the 500 race. And so I don't think we could have run good by ourselves out front because, you know, when you get some damage on the front of the car, it really hurts it. So he was pushing Carl Edwards, and I was watching – on TV, and I kept saying, man, he's got to be 10 mile an hour faster than the field. I mean, he was really coming. I said, I said, damn, he's going to push that forward to damn win. And I said, I'm going to catch you about that. <laughs> and uh, so, so he pushed him down. The race before that, I believe the year before, um, the Smith kid went down under the Regan, line. Regan, Regan Smith, Regan, right. Yeah. And they took the race away from him. Well, Brad wasn't going for that, so when yeah. he, he tried to block him, he turned him, and then they all went up in the air and yeah. all, and you finished second yeah. in that race. Oh, yeah. That was when the tandem racing started really kind of uh, uh, coming in, wasn't it? I yeah, mean, well, the, they done away with it right after that for a little while, by pushing all because, the way around. Because of that. He yeah. pushed him three or four laps, just hooked up, and, I mean, I think it was seven, eight mile an hour and faster than wild. the leaders. Yeah. It was, what is a James Finch celebration, a, a, a cup race celebration like after – you leave the track. Well, we we went on back to Panama City and had a pretty good time, but we celebrated every weekend. Little track. It didn't make no difference. You own a bar down there, right? Yeah. And that's what, what it's there for. Yeah. He owns you own a bar. A, where? 
Inland Haven, the town I live in. Yeah, you own a bar? Uh-huh. What's it called? Blue Moon. Blue Moon. Yeah. How long have you owned it? Well, it was Yacht Club, and we changed the name. I sold it one it? time. No, no, sold oh, okay. it one time or whatever. Wait, <laughs> you sold it and bought it back? And wound up with it back. I financed it. You know, got tired of it, and I let this guy run it for a while, and then I took it back. When did you first own it? 25 years ago or wow. 30 years ago. I'd have to, I got to go. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd pay all the guys, you know, uh, I'd race so long. All my friends got tired of racing. They said, look, well, we're tired of this. You know what I'm talking about? Year after year after year. So I bought this uh, nine-bedroom uh, old folks' home, and I remodeled it, and I started sharecropping. So I'd bring these guys in and put them in and started racing. Really? You know? So I had I had people from everywhere, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> had had people from everywhere going to racing, you know, because everybody else it got so tired of going. I said, well, so I'm not importing crewmen and so forth. Yeah, it's I basically get, like a, a crew member live, orphanage. They would live there. Yes. So yeah. all right. So this this brings up a great conversation. You're now it's not unheard of since the Furniture Row guys won the championship. They were in Denver, but. For decades, everybody said you can't win unless you're in Charlotte, unless you're in Mooresville. You can't. That's to be competitive. You got to be here. But you guys balked against that for years. You were going to race out of Florida. You always did, yeah. and that's how you did it. Yeah. You bought a place that they could live in. Right. Right. Yeah, I brought them up. Hutter's kid come down there. Matt, he he come down there and uh, he had like a little university. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a crew member well, orphanage. Yeah. You know, when they was uh, had time off, they could go spend the money in the bar. Yeah, I get in some of it bar. back. Yeah, oh. and and the reason you had the bar, just to, to be clear, is what because you weren't trying to be in the bar, uh, you know, business. It was just a place to go hang out. I mean, I've heard that that was your office, basically. Well, everybody needs a bar. <laughs> they need a place to go to one. Yeah, you just been bought one. So, like, but th- is that where you would like? You know, you could bring sponsors. You could bring no, p- people no, just, like that. J- just friends and all. You know, so just friends. Yeah. So and and your crew guys. I've been in that bar. Actually. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Tell sure. me about it. Well, you know, in two thousand, look like inside. It's it's. I mean, I, it's uh, you know, it's a so it's what, a perfect kind of like a bar. Little, it's not big. No. What kind it's, of what is, is it? How close is it to the beach? Fifteen miles. So it's a nautical theme, any kind of. If I, yes. I remember, it was, it's not too far from the shop. Is no, it's it? about a mile. Yeah, yeah, it's right down the road. Perfect. Well, I'm the only one in town that has a whiskey license. Oh, well, that helps. Yeah, you know, because of the bar. Yeah, I mean, you got the whiskey license because of the bar. Yeah, wh- yeah, whiskey license is pretty hard to get down in in that area. Okay, you know, the whiskey license costs fifteen hundred dollars from the state, but you have to buy one from somebody that has one. And so they're about three hundred fifty thousand now for a whiskey license in that county. Wow! Yeah. Hey, this, this is completely off topic, but I, people are going to kill us if we don't ask. You did walk in with your own red solo cup. Yeah, right. What's in it? Water. Water. <laughs> yeah. I got gotcha. you. What was the drink of choice over the years? Crown. Just crown. Crown. And that's what it was in the red solo cup all those years on pit road. Did anybody at NASCAR ever try to discourage you from taking your cup on pit road or in a garage or anything? No. They knew better. No, well, I mean, you know, I was a pretty good drinker. You know, I didn't get big or get rich or get famous or whatever. I mind my own business and, you know, whatever. Some people take a drink and go ignorant and two swallows, and some people get mean, some people yeah. get rich, some people get pretty. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have seen you, though, 
throw it at, yeah. at, at one of your cars and drivers. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking okay, about. Okay, tell the story. Because, see, I've, you were upset at this. Well, I was in Daytona, and I'd quit running the 500. You know, I said, I don't need to do, keep doing that. It's too expensive. So Ernie Elliott called me and said, James, he said, I've been working on these Dodges for about a year, as hard as I can do it. He says, I got four Ford motors up here in the back of my shop that's really good. Mm-hmm. He said, go get you a car and come get these motors. I said, Ernie, why in the hell did you call me? He said, because I know you go get a car. <laughs> so I did. So I go to Daytona 500, qualify sixth or eighth, run third in the race. With Jeff Bodine. Bodine. So we get $760,000 wow. for, that, for that race. I think we'd run fourth the year before with Mike Wallace, uh, the year that uh, – Mark Martin almost won right there at last. Yeah, with, uh-huh. yeah, but we wasn't really in the race, but we wound up fourth, which was a good payday. And uh, but, So we take those motors. We go back to Daytona for the 4th of July. The summer race. Summer race. Yeah. This was 2002, I believe. Right. Well, see, Jeff had had that bad truck race. He had a really bad Oh, the bad crash. Crash. Right. And I thought he'd got scared. Yeah. It would have scared me, and I would have never got back in one of them. Yeah, right. And And, and – he should have got out of it or you know, whatever. But yeah. we sit on the outside pole with the car. For that summer race. The summer race. Start the race. First lap by. He's last by about 100 yards. I said, wow, what the hell? They had a, they had a caution. Second lap, third lap. So here he comes down, down the pit row. So we gas and go and get him back out. He's out front again. The rest of them come in. One lap to go. Here he comes down the pit row. Oh, before they go green? Yes. He wants a drink of water. <laughs> Lap four of the race? Yes. He wants a drink of water. <laughs> it's a nighttime race, and he all, I, all I got is a big bucket full of Crown Royal. When he gets up there, <laughs> I throw it right in his face. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, deal. I if you ain't going to race, quit, you know? So Damn. I, I have these just snapshot awesome. memories of that year. You were there? I, I was in the pit box. Yeah. And I don't know why, actually, because this wasn't the team that I actually I, – I, I was working with this Bush Series yeah. uh, group. Yeah. and uh, But I was there for some reason for the cup race. I don't know why. But I just remember Bodine came in, Finch is on top of the pit box, got his, you know, got his red solo cup. I didn't know all that context, by the yeah. way, but so you were already agitated. I just remember he come in. They're just giving him ice packs and water and whatnot, and it, it is hot. Lap. By it's the way, four it, yeah. is, it is hot. Okay, hey, it's not but, as hot as somebody's roofing a roof during the day. Fair July. point. Okay, fair point. I won't even dispute that. Yeah. Um, and I remember they dropped the jack because the pit stop was over, and he didn't go. He was he's he's still at. Oh, he's still drinking. Yeah. And next thing I know, this old red cup. And just stuff <laughs> just flying oh all over the gosh. place. It's raining on the crew guys and stuff, and that thing just goes right at the car. And I was like, "They said he doesn't give a damn. Now I've seen it. He don't <laughs> give a damn. He, he threw his drink at the car yeah. during the race." But you know, we're gonna have a Jeff on the show here sometime this year. Right? We need to. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you still? Ask him. Yeah, you've. How many drivers have you actually had to ride for you? Because and Jeff- NASCAR. In NASCAR, I yeah. think seventy-five or eighty. So more than more than the Wood Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine anybody else has more than that. I mean, a lot of them. 
And, and when you think about all those drivers that have, like, which ones stick out, uh, you know, for good reasons um, that, that, you know, you, you, you enjoyed having them in your race cars. Oh, we've had a lot, a lot of fun with them and all, you know, Neil Bonnet was one of my favorite yeah. guys, you know, we're real good friends. You know, Neil got killed in my car in 94 and, um, it's, but he was, he was something special to me. Yeah, had he he had run with you before short track, and he had been going to the races with me in years. And him and Frankie Grill had a short track car place there in uh, Hueytown, and <laughs> and Bobby. See, when Bobby was coming up, you know, around the short tracks, I was short tracking with him. And, yeah, uh, Neil was driving some for Bobby. He would he would go to Wisconsin and everything run for Bobby when Bobby couldn't make it. So back then he, he had a business going, showing up, and racing the short tracks, and Bobby had two or three cars. Yeah, we have had Neil Bonnet stories a lot on this show because you know a lot of the people that sit in that seat were friends with Dale Earnhardt, and if you're friends with Dale Earnhardt, you're friends with Neil a lot of times, right? So I just I don't remember how that deal all happened. I just know he was coming out of retirement, right? Or or he was coming out for a race. Maybe you know better than I obviously, but but I mean. One race deal or something. It was just a one race deal, right? No, it was five five races. Oh, was it? Five, five races. races. Okay. Know? And uh it was gonna be the Daytonas and Indy. Got it. And that was the first year that we went to Indy, to the Indy uh, brickyard. Uh ninety four. Ninety four. How hard was that to I mean what, I I wouldn't wanna not race anymore, you know what I mean? How did you Well, you know, that was real hard. Yeah. We were um I went to I got back then. NASCAR owned the ambulances. They had some old Econoline vans and all. So when they got Neil in the in the van, I'd walked out there and I'd got in the van and Buster let me get in the van or whatever. You know, he was there. So we went to the hospital and, and I looked back there and they was working on Neil on his chest and everything. And so we pulled up to the portico at the hospital and I got out of the front of the van and they were pulling Neil out of the back of the van with a stretcher and I seen it wasn't good, so I just kind of sat down, you know, and they took him on in there. So they got me and brought me in a room in there. And so a little while later, uh, Bill France Jr., and some of them comes over there, and, and then here comes Bobby. And at that time, Bobby couldn't hardly walk. He was still from the Pocono wreck. Yeah. And he was in pretty bad shape. <laughs> and uh, so I was – I got a hold of uh, the Caterpillar dealer in uh, – Birmingham, and I called uh, David Bonnet and and all of them. So I was able to. Susan was on her way down to uh, Daytona, <clears throat> and she was supposed to get there probably in thirty minutes or so. And they were trying to keep it off there where she was going. So, but I was able to get uh, Neil's kids down there about the time Susan got there. So, dang, and and that was a bad deal. So I had a. Uh, Country Time was sponsoring our car, which was uh, Procter & Gamble or whoever. It was a big deal. And they were uh, had uh, Al Unser Jr. Uh, running the IROC deal. So the PR guy wanted to, uh, he said, you got a backup car, so we get Al Jr. to drive the backup car. I said, no, we come here, we come down here with Neil, we're going home. If he's not running, we ain't going, we're not going to run. And so I withdrew and we went home. Mm. Did that and that deal went away? No, I finished out the five races. Oh, you did? Yeah. Who drove the car then? Purvis. Ah, I put Jeff Purvis, Purvis in there. Oh, and okay. so we went to we went to Indy, and they were 
85 cars there. Yeah. First year. Wow. So, so wow. We qualified 27th, got in the show, and uh, it was a big paying race, a couple hundred thousand dollars to start or more. And so we were able to make the race, and Rick Mask, I think, was on the pole. He was, yeah. yeah. He was here and, last uh, week and was talking about that race yeah. and being on the pole. He was there. And uh, did they win it? No, uh, Jeff, uh, Gordon. Jeff Gordon won the first one. Okay. Yeah. But you kept on racing. So, you know, Neil's tragic accident, uh, as hard as it was, you – Well, you know, while we were getting ready to race, we were at Talladega testing – and Davey comes in and kills himself on the oh that y'all were testing helicopter. when that happened yes my God gosh so that would have been before was that before the Neil Bonnet accident yes so yeah so you guys were testing at Talladega was Davey why was Davey coming to the track just to, to see, hang out. see just, just to see watch us. the test yeah. to see us because he knew Neil was testing so him and Red oh. Farmer him and Red Farmer that that explains it Davey was buying the helicopter from uh, Butch the parts guy Mark. You know, uh, the parts guy. Uh, B-H, uh, BSR, BSR. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Butch B- Stevens. Okay. There you go. So he was in Butch's helicopter. So he come in there, and he almost hit the truck, and he pulled it up, and the tail hit the ground, and it flipped over and uh, crashed. So Neil was on the track. So Johnny Allen had got uh, Red out of the car, pulled him out. When Neil comes in, he runs up there and, grabs a red and pulls him some more, you know, and he broke his shoulder and all. So they got David to the hospital, and then uh, Neil called me about 5 o'clock the next morning, and they'd give David his last rites, and they were going to take his organs. Mm. Man. While well, you've been through it, man, you've experienced it. This racing stuff, it's uh, it's it can be pretty brutal. I mean, for yeah. lifers like this. It, well, uh, you know, there was a bunch of them going through it at that time. You know, when Neil got killed on Saturday morning down there, I believe it was uh, Pete or Rodney or yeah, Rodney or got killed on Monday. Yep, we was Neil's Neil's funeral when that happened, and uh, I was on a Hoosier deal, and uh, because my racing dirt racing, I had a full Hoosier deal. Well, they pulled the Hoosiers out of the. Uh, Lloyd Allen was on the pole on a set of Hoosiers, mm-hmm. and they pulled out the Hoosiers, and uh, so later on that year, Hoosier. Withdrawals from NASCAR. Yeah. So that I went to have to buy tires. Yeah. You know, we had uh Petty Kid. Yeah. We lost him right in that time. Yeah, 2000. And then I had a kid that worked on my crew out here at Charlotte when they were racing those. Uh, uh, Humpy had a sportsman division. Oh, yeah. And his name was Bubby Phillips, and uh, he was in uh, one of uh, – Terry Labonte's old Oldsmobiles. Yeah. And he come off a four, and it kicked up, and he hit that post, and it took him off. And, I mean, it was it was worst thing ever happened at a racetrack. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of bad wrecks in that series. Yeah. But eventually went away, but. it had, They was going to run out of people. Yeah. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break from this conversation and have Dale Jr. tell us about an important partner here on the download. Hey everyone, Dirty Mo Media President Mike Davis here, excited to tell you about one of our newest sponsors at Dirty Mo, Airbnb. The irony here is that Airbnb is new to Dirty Mo Media, but Dirty Mo Media is not new to Airbnb. It has been accommodating us for years. And if you are a race fan, and I think you are, you know why. 
I mean, you've booked hotels at, uh, during a race weekend. They're, the prices are insane. You're stuck with these unreasonable multi-night minimums, whereas Airbnb, you got many choices, all within proximity, and it ends up being way more affordable. Now, I'm not only a frequent Airbnb guest, but my wife and I are also Airbnb hosts. And you should be too. We've been doing it for years. I'll tell you why. We have an investment property that we realized it could be earning additional income through Airbnb. You don't have to have an investment property to do that. You could just find extra space in your home. That works too. It all could be making you some extra cash. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. What what other drivers? Uh, get, getting back to your drivers that uh, over the years you had Neil Bonnet probably your favorite. Let's say, uh, but but you know again I, there were years where you guys you just had people in your cars all the time, and I was always curious the business model on that. By the way, like what, what, did did you have a business uh, logic and all that, or were you just going by your gut? Well, if I could just pay the bills, I was happy. That's all you know, you're doing. Yeah. But uh, what other drivers stick out to you as far as uh, being some of your good ones? Well, I'm gonna see. Oh, I forget. I think he had six or seven Daytona 500 winners drive for me. Oh, all right. Which so, is uh, Ryan Newman, Jamie McMurray, yeah. Sterling Marlin, Jeff Bodine. You and uh, Sterling together. Uh, you know, a bunch of them. And then world champion I had, uh, to, what was the name from Canada? Oh, uh, Villeneuve? Villeneuve. Yeah. He drove for me. Jock. And then uh, road racers was uh, Magison. Yeah. Oh, uh, Yon, what's his? Yeah, John Magison drove That's right. for me. That's uh, right. Uh, Pruitt, Scott, Scott Pruitt, Pruitt, uh, Ron Fellows. <laughs> you had him. Okay, Sterling though. Go back to Sterling. All right, uh, you and Sterling walk into a bar. Sounds like the start of a joke, right? Yeah. Like Finch and, and Sterling walk into a bar. Start of a good time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's the question. How does that night end with you and Sterling? Well, Sterling, you know, if you if you keep him enough beer, he'd be fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. he, lo- he loves that beer. You know, Sterling's Sterling's uh, having a hard time right now. Yeah. You know, he's and, got Parkinson's, right? And uh, yeah, and they, he's he's having a hard time with it. Yeah, great guy. Still races. Yeah, try. Yeah, he's doing that, but he's he's really having a hard time. Yeah, he's coming in this year. He'd be a good one. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to talking to him. You um, is it? Safe to say that you had some involvement in introducing um, Rick and Chase Elliott, because you were help, you were a little bit yes. helping Chase with his cars, right? In the, uh, in Florida when he raced snowball and so forth. <laughs> you know, I, I, I stayed on Rick about hiring Chase, you know, and mm. and all, and you know, it, most of all his crew didn't want to hire Chase because he's too young, didn't have the experience, and you know, and all that. I said, Rick, you need to hire this kid. I said, you know, I'm not gonna bother bother you about it no damn more. I've Told you what I think, and, and I said he's he's a good guy. He's never going to embarrass you. He's going to do what's right, and uh, he comes from a good family. That's what you like. I said, you know, he's the type of guy that Rick Hendrick is. I mean, Rick Hendrick's one of the. I mean, I'd have to rate him as high as they are in racing. I mean, he's just a yeah a real good guy. When I was quitting, I told Rick, I said I won't quit, and he said, man, don't do that. I don't want you to go. I said, well, you're gonna have to help me. He said, I will. Two or three years later, I said, don't help me no more. <laughs> I said, don't help me no more. I'm going home. But uh, he said, I'm going to hire him. I'm going to hire him next week because Ducart, some of them, you know, they were talking, well, I don't know. So the first year he wins the championship, all of them got together. So we got the right one, didn't we, boss? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was yep. a good call. Yeah. But, all right. So you just talked about it. Uh, why Why did you get out? Why well, did you get out? Well, you moved to Spartanburg. Yeah. I didn't want to move 
to Spartanburg. A buckshot Jones' daddy called me up and said, James, so I hear you might want to go to Charlotte or something. said, I want you to look at my race car shop. I said, I don't know what I want to do yet. He said, look, I don't want you to do anything. Do you look at my shop? I said, okay. And then he called back and says, says I'm just going to come get you and, and take you up there. I said, no, I'll pick you up. I'm going going up there. So I went up there. And he gave me a, a deal I couldn't refuse. I mean, he said, look, I've been racing a long time. And he says, the only one up here that's not tried to take advantage of me has been you. And mm. so I'm going to make you this deal. And he gave it to me. And he said, I'm going to throw this 350 in with it at no cost. 350 King Air. Oh. Oh, you you bought the shop and the plane? Well, I bought the shop and he gave me the plane. Oh, that's a pretty good deal, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I bought neither, good, but I hey, bet that's a hey, good deal. Billy Jones, is, hey, he's he's a good one, you know. But uh, he did that, so we. So that's why you moved to Spartan. That's how I went. You Spartan. were looking to? Were you looking to relocate? Because you were always the Panama City guy. Yeah, well, I was going to come to Charlotte, you know. Oh, and, you were. Yeah, and, uh, Reno wanted to come. He had been driving back and forth down there six or seven years and living down there and. It was pretty, pretty bad, so we decided to do that. So the team was going to move. Or you weren't going to move, though. No. Yeah. No, no. yeah, that's what I mean. So it ends yeah. up in Spartanburg. Right. And how long were you there? About five or six years. Yeah. And then uh, I sold it to uh, Harry Scott. Yeah. Unfortunately, what happened to him? But yep. Good guy. So what, how was selling the team? Were you ready to get out? Were you excited? Yeah, I was, I was ready. And uh, I'll never forget, Harry said, look, here's your set of keys. If you come back, I said, I don't need them. I don't need them. He says, uh he said, what about all your stuff? I said, I'll come back and get it, too, <laughs> yeah. later on. And after uh, what happened to uh, Harry, then, you know, the guys packed all the stuff up and brought it to me. But I, I, when I went out, I just walked out, and Left. I was pretty much through. But, but there's an assumption if, by people that don't know, wouldn't know, is an assumption with your identity being the kind of like don't give a crap, you know, type thing, that you had just had enough of – the way the sport was evolving, politics, if you will, that kind of thing. Is that true or not? Well, I thought it was. You know, I thought that, you know, the sport was going in a, in a different way where and Joe America was not going to be able to race. You know, I mean, it's got, it got so expensive. And just like, I mean, the way the sport's going right now, the car that they're going to have is a long way from a 65 Galaxy that it started with. You know, all the rednecks made this sponsor, made this sport really great. And the leaders come in, and they want to change it. Mm. And they go on with these Indy-type cars with a Camaro body on them. And I don't know if that's going to be good or not, but it's going to be really expensive. So I think if you – I mean, when we went to 85 cars to try and qualify, we used to qualify for three days at Daytona, mm-hmm. qualify Saturday and start again Tuesday, Wednesday, qualify again, Thursday, run to 150s, 125s. It was, it was a big deal. And when they wanted to – to do the pit crew, you know, take one guy off, going to save the teams a big amount of money. And I said, that's not going to save the teams any money. I said, they're going to get better, and they're going to want twice the salary to change tires. <laughs> you know, and I said, first of all, if you'll slow the nozzle down where it's 24 seconds to fuel up, then the brother-in-law changed tire, and everybody <laughs> come back racing. Everybody come back racing. You know, if he wants to pull out and go lead a lap, go ahead and let him lead. He's coming back. <laughs> I mean, that's where you save money. Yeah. And, uh, so I just, so you, know, you had had enough of it. Well, I, you know, it wasn't I, your racing. No, I had, I didn't have enough. I just couldn't afford it no more. I oh. said, you know, I'm not going to run my life livelihood trying to outrun Roger Penske. Yeah. If I had Roger and Rick's hand, I'd throw mine in, you know, 
but great guys and all that. But, you know, I don't think you ask the richest guys in town what the rules need to be. Mm, wow. Yeah. You know? That's, yeah. So, because I mean, you know, like I love Roger Depp, uh, 18 Indy 500. Hell, he needs to try the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. <laughs> I think you need to try the Kentucky Derby, <laughs> yeah, actually. I, I think you need to just do the infield yeah, of the Kentucky but, Derby. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I hate to see the racing when, when you, you pull up at one of the old shows and you look at Charlotte in 1985 or four, and there's 100,000 people there and, and they're battling for the win. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Go back to those rules. That's what made it famous. Boy, you and Dell Jr. could just get together and sit there and come up with the entire uh, r- rules for NASCAR and it, it, how you do it. Because you're a traditionalist, yeah. and you're also trying to keep the cost down. He's a team owner. He's trying to keep the cost down. Well, the worst thing that happened in racing in my time was, was the uh, shocks. You know, when they got away from the Bilsteins and all that, and then they went to the shocks engineers and all that. Now you got all the engineers trying to tell you how to race. Mm. And, you know – I always, I'm in the construction business, and I fight engineers all the time, and I got a joke. You know, there's, there's three people sent us to guillotine. It was a contractor, the lawyer, and the uh, engineer. So the lawyer says, look, now if the contractor sticks his head in there and it hangs up, you're going to have to let him go. And they said, okay. So sure enough, it hung up. He goes. So the lawyer steps up there and says, same for me. If it hangs up, I get to go. So he sticks his head in there, and it hangs up. He's walking out the damn prison, and he hears the engineer says, I see your problem. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to lose his head. You know. I see your problem. <laughs> so, okay, so you're saying Johnny Scott and Mark Reno weren't engineers, and the, when, when the uh, age of the engineers started coming in and taking over, uh, changing the things, the shocks, that stuff, it just wasn't. It just got got real expensive, and that wasn't for you. Well, you know, I remember when uh, they tore Roger Penske's motor down and put all the parts out there on the for everybody oh, to for see. for everybody to see. Yeah. You know, I always thought that if you stayed within the 358 inches, you do it any way you want to. Or, you know, whatever. If you could outthink somebody, you outthink them or, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, now they got 550 horsepower to run out at California. I believe that's what they run this last week, yeah. 550 horsepower. I just had Petty put a, a Hellcat red-eye engine in my pickup truck. 800 horsepower, and it's $13,000 for the motor. Yeah. Now, you're going to rent one of those motors for 100000 <laughs> So you know what Joe American does? He says, see you later. Yeah. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. Do you miss it? Yeah, I miss it. I mean, I, I, I love the sport. I mean, you know. Uh, but you still are involved in short track racing. Yes. So. And that's your roots, you know. That's what you probably. Yeah. So who all are you? Who all are you helping outside of your own son? Oh well, hell, I buy some tires for about everybody around there, Is that you know. Right? And oh yeah. But you know, at Snowball Derby, I have helped uh, Chris Bale, and I've helped Eric Jones, uh, Chase, you know, and Chase Elliott, and you know, a bunch of them, uh, Kyle, Kyle. But we've had a pretty good time around Snowball all these years. Yeah. Are you still doing drag racing? Yeah, I got uh, I got some Fords. Yeah, yeah, per- got drag racing. I pretty much started, you know, drag racing. Like I tell you, that service station, the guy had a drag car, and so later on, we we started uh, match racing and all that, and then uh, running. That was the era of the Sox and Martin and all that. And when Ford did the fiberglass cars and Chevrolet did the aluminum cars, and I was there in the pit, you know. Uh, putting the rosin down and alcohol, you know, for the burnouts and all that. And 
Sox and Martin from up here, and, and that's when I run into uh, Keith Dorton was working for Sox and Martin. Huh. You know, and engine uh, builder Keith Dorton. Yeah, uh, Ronnie Ronnie Sox from up here in the Carolinas, man. He, him him and Buddy Martin, and uh, Roy Hill, and uh, you know uh, Petty was doing his stuff back then. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh yeah, I mean it's a long time, and it was early '60s. I mean the Daytona. I think this Daytona was my fifty-first year at Daytona. First year I went, uh, Mario Andretti won the race. He run out of gas three times that day. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. When he won the cha- when he yeah. won the Daytona Five Hundred. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember him running out of gas. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, yeah. I didn't really ever saw the whole yeah. race. Yeah, but. I think he run out of gas three times. No kidding. Do Do you still watch races? <clears throat> do you still watch the Cup races? I mean, I'm talking yeah. about NASCAR. Obviously, you still watch races, but uh, you know, when when they run on Sundays, do you still watch it? Yes, I watched one yesterday. You know, does any of them catch your uh, interest? You, who do you like? That's uh, running these days. Well, I like you know Chase, and you know, I like all the young uh, kids. You know, yeah. uh, all of them. You know, uh, uh, I mean, I like the whole sport. You still yeah. tight with Rick? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you probably got got a little bit of a pulling for his Hendrick cars, right? Yes, sir. The eight car did a good job yesterday. He sure Sunday. did. That's right. I got to ask you a question. So, do you remember me calling you in nineteen ninety seven? No. So. I think I ran a race in uh, Michigan and uh, a couple you, other races. You run a seven car at Bristol. Yeah, I ran the seven car at Bristol, sat on the pole, I think, led yeah. the first couple of yeah. laps till I got wrecked by a lap guy. Ran top 10 at Michigan, but I had a handful, like four or five races that I'd run, and I sort of gave up my eligibility to run for rookie of the year next year, but I didn't even know I had plans to run the next season. I was just trying to race and getting, you know, Ed Wicker calls me and says, hey, come run my car. So I come run it. And uh, you were swapping drivers in and out of your car. You had uh, Dale Shaw in your car. And he had uh, just ran really good at South Boston, I think, second, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And you were trying to land on a driver uh, to stick around with. And, and I was like, well, I know Shaw just ran really good. But uh, Finch has got a new guy in his car every week. I'm going to call him see if I could run to Beach. Uh, and uh, you were like, I called. I don't know how I got your number. Maybe Tony Senior or somebody, yeah. and I called James, and I was like, "James, it's Dale Junior." Yeah, I was like, "Man, I don't know you, you. I don't know if you got anybody driving your car at the beach, but I'd love to drive it." He's like, oh, "I think I'm gonna stick with Dale Shaw. He run pretty good this past weekend. I think we're gonna stick with him." And I was like, "All right, damn, because it's a good car." Just a uh, dumb question: Are you talking about Myrtle Beach? Yes. Okay, Myrtle Beach. Yeah. All right, you're just talking about the beach. I Myrtle just, Beach. Sorry, I don't know what Myrtle. beach we're talking about. But, right, Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. Beach. And he. He turned you down. He did. <laughs> well, that's why you don't well, remember. Yeah. That was one of my it's mistakes. That's good, one nah, of my mistakes. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't hey, very refined hey. then. <laughs> well, I turned down Tony Stewart. That was one another one. <laughs> did you really? Oh, yes. When did you turn Tony Stewart down? Uh, hell, a long time ago when he was he come up with a, a Gary Stanton and a bunch of them, and he was racing you know, at Daytona down and uh, trying to get into the racing. Yeah. But uh, Tony and uh, – Dale. <laughs> yeah, you just you just had somebody one of your said you, uh, one of our one of our searches for information drummed up that that you might have turned down a Toyota deal at one point. I did. Yeah. What was that? Well, you know t- the Toyota deal. I went out to California. Went out there to the TRD deal, and uh, the guy from Roush was doing the thing. I forget his name. He used to work for Roush, and went out there and. First person I ran into was uh, at the Toyota place was Jimmy Elliott Sr. Yeah, Jimmy was out there. Bill Davis had sent him out there and all, and he's and they had a, a Ford motor and a Dodge motor and a 
Chevrolet motor and all they they were gonna make a motor and uh, they had all that Formula One stuff back there on those electric dynos and had two or three hundred people working in the engine shop and I said whoa god this is gonna be bad when they get in here you know because Ford had been giving Junior Johnson Chevrolet had been giving Rick some money and all these people are just piling this money on and it's fixing to get crazy yeah so they wanted me to run the trucks and they would sponsor one truck and I had to put another truck in you had to find a sponsor for that. For that one. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, so I turned that down. Why? But why? Just explain that. Because, like, I mean, you were always – I always looked looked at you as getting sponsors when you needed them, and, and you were pretty good with the partnerships. Yeah, but, I mean, I just – you know, I didn't I didn't like, the, you know, the Toyota deal. And uh, so later on, I had a, had a deal to get the, the bus series. So Toyota's going cup racing in, like, October. The next year in, in – Daytona in February. Well, Robert Yates and a bunch of them raised a bunch of cane said the Toyota motors were illegal. Something about the valve angles or, you know, whatever the deal was. So NASCAR made them rebuild all those motors. So they had about 100 motors. So what are we going to do with these damn 100 motors? And NASCAR said, well, just run them in the bus series. Hmm. So, so I didn't like that, you know. Yeah. And, but I didn't do the Toyota deal, and that's probably another one of my mistakes. You know, I didn't. You think? Yeah. yeah, but well, they, uh, I, don't it, I don't know. It, it, it didn't make no difference yeah. to me. You know, you, you, you and manufacturers, has uh, it always been a love-hate relationship? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was another piece of information about how you would run different manufacturer stickers on your what? cars week to week and sometimes not even put them on there. I didn't put them on there. And uh, when we run third in the uh, Daytona 500, I didn't have any uh, four decals on the car. Yeah. So they come raising hell about, I said, well, I didn't know I had to put them on there. You know, and he said, well, you don't get any of this extra prize money if you don't have them. I said, well, I didn't ask you for none. Ooh. And uh, so, but, and then Chevrolet, <laughs> Chevrolet we, were, we were trying to get some parts to build, build a car, car for uh, Daytona. And Chevrolet had give Frank Cece all the stuff and helps and, you know, building the uh, Daytona car. So... We won Richmond race, yeah. and uh, Chevrolet come running in the victory lane with all the hats, and also I run their ass out. So take your hats going down the road. That's so, awesome. So, so they wrote me a letter. But, because said, they gave Frank Cece all the parts, yeah, they, said, but, they didn't uh, give you anything. No, and then, uh, and then they come in there and going to give out all the hats and all yeah. this. Take your hats and go on down the road. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah, and so they wrote me a letter and said if I would – do the decals on that they'd pay me the ten thousand dollars the next time i want to race it reimburse it retroactive that ten thousand dollars so i wrote him a letter back i said don't worry about that i said i figure if i get much help out of y'all i won't never win another race <laughs> <laughs> i remember in my in my one year with finch was like i'm pretty sure correct me if i'm wrong we ran a pontiac sticker at daytona on what car like what was uh, the body uh I don't think the body was different. I think I, th- I, I swear. Saying, I was think, it a Pontiac or was it I a Chevy? I think it was a Chevy. But I, was it a Chevy that you ran in O two? But you Most ran a different sticker on it. Probably. I don't know. Somebody. I just it, remember but. different manufacturer stickers. And again, you know, like I, this is my first year in the sport. I am. I'm completely green to it. And I'm just like, I, like I, I know nothing. But I do think most owners <laughs> keep the same manufacturer sticker on the cars all throughout the year. <laughs> And this one doesn't. I, I could, so I, there's something odd about that. Well, you know, used to, there was this lady and guy that when you showed up, they come to your car and they put the stickers on. All the NASCAR stickers was 
in the front of the door. Yeah. The contingency stuff. Yeah, all yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah, on yeah. there. So you had to put all that on there, run all – you had to put yours on the back half. Somebody the come front. do it for you. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you remember that lady in no man that did that? I don't. That? Yeah. I don't remember people, them, like, having a crew that would come do it for you. Yes. Them. I just remember getting the packets and the yeah. teams would have to do it. Yeah. Or you could, me and the, as a kid, you know, run around trying to get them packets. Just oh, to get stickers. To, yeah. to put on yeah. your own stuff? <laughs> trying to find my girlfriend. Had a little package. I wanted to show you something. But Speaking uh, of girlfriends, um, uh-oh, speaking <laughs> of girlfriends, this is going to be good. Reno says, Reno, Mark, this thing just came from Reno. Mark says that your favorite quote was, I spend my money on racing, drinking, and chasing women. The other half I waste. Yeah, just throw the rest of it away. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds yeah. like something you said. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. <laughs> hey, on that note, if we were to walk into Schooners, okay, yeah. and we see a plaque on the wall, and it says, Finch's Legions. Yeah, it's not there anymore. But well, if we had, if it was there, and it had, what, what, what would we be looking at? What is this Finch's Legions plaque? I think it was um, boobs. <laughs> <laughs> there was a plaque. Yeah, I was trying to explain yeah. this to yeah. my wife Amy yeah. the other night. Quite a few of them, or whatever. But well, wait, you could get them for about about a set of tires was about what it was going for. <laughs> so you could get so. I, was, I said, Amy, I got James Finch coming on the show, and he's, I think he's hes bought probably maybe a couple hundred sets of boobs. And a she goes, hundred. Well, I don't think it's that many. Well, with the blowouts and all, it's pretty big close. Really? <laughs> <laughs> with the blowouts. How many, so, so do, you, how many do you think you've, you've bought? I think it was somewhere around 78. My gosh. Okay. So, well, this plaque uh, apparently had push pins in it. Right? Yeah. It had push pins, and the push pins represented one a, a pair. Now, that's a that's a great establishment. But Schooners is still there, by oh, the way, yes. right? Yes. But you're saying the plaque's gone. Yeah. Did they run out of room? <laughs> <laughs> no, I give up. <laughs> oh, you I gave up. Yeah. <laughs> well. Clint Boyer dared me that I wouldn't ask that question. Here's, here's a question I got to ask. You, Mark Martin, and uh, Abraham. Yeah. When y'all picked out y'all's glasses, did y'all go to one of them walls that had a bunch of them up there? Our glasses? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> now listen, but, but when you come to my hometown or something, when you buy glasses, they got this big, huge wall, yeah. and they got two or 300 sets up there. You know, and you got a selection. You got a selection. They didn't have it, you know. Mm-mm. But Abraham and Mark were all wearing theirs, the same ones. Same one, pretty close. Mine are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's trying to ask you why you picked those. Mine are spy. Are they really? Yes, yeah. they're spies. Oh, really? well, I don't know what, our, I don't know what Ray's got. Mark, Martin, you seen them? No, I haven't. We I mean, all got dang went blind. Man. Yeah, we no, can't I, see. Hell, I got mine worked on. Oh, did that, you have eyes? They told me I couldn't get mine worked on. Really? Yeah, they said. Uh, yeah, I took the Cadillacs off or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the Cadillacs. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, uh, he got his glasses at the same place Landon Castle used to get his jeans. Yeah. How's that? Landon. <laughs> I mean, because if I could think of another uh, a driver that just didn't seem to fit the James Finch mold. Hannah's a good kid, but you dang, I told oh, him, of course I said, he is. I said, man, you look like you got a Christmas tree stuck up your butt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he had all kind of stars and stuff on the back of his yeah, pants. Yeah, he oh, studded pants. It's, yeah. The designs. Yeah. <laughs> the embroidery. <laughs> I, said, I said, man, did you sit on a damn Christmas tree? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we, 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 you know, Clint Boyer now has lost that bet. He didn't think yeah. you'd ask it. You asked it. 
Yeah, seventy-eight ish. That's Jeez. still a lot. That's a That's lot. lot. Yeah. How did that part of your business start? Well, one of them was my sister. She kept stealing my socks. So I had to fix her up. You know. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What? Hey, what? <laughs> what? Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's awkward. <laughs> yeah. That's a little awkward, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but hey, you know, nobody will ever accuse you of lying. <laughs> what do you think about that car? It's good looking. No, it's a good looking car. We got to find your girlfriend because you, you said yes. she brought something. How long has she been your girlfriend? She's my wife now. She's your wife? Yes. Why yeah. are you calling her your girlfriend? She, she's upgraded. I, yeah, I know what. <laughs> God. Oh, shit. I, I, I don't know how you get away with that. <laughs> she didn't want to come in here? Yeah, here. Pictures. I was going through some old stuff. This is congratulations, Jeff Purvis and Phoenix Construction Crew. 13 races, 11 wins, and two seconds. It got better. That's pretty. Congratulations, Jeff Purvis and Phoenix Construction Coup. 33 races and 27 wins. Wow, that is that is improvement. Yeah. And, do you, and where did you find Did you just... Uh, that was in some of the books I had there. Okay, so you were, you were going through some of your books? Yeah. So That's y'all cool. was dominating. Oh, did yeah. they ever put a bounty on you guys? Yeah, but it'll be weak. Like we, if we uh, somebody would come in there and beat you, they'd get a little extra money? No, we did the traveling, you know. We didn't yeah. just run anywhere. We'd go out west. We'd run like 10 nights in a row starting. Unreal. Arkansas and go through Wichita and Missouri and all out there. And had one, uh, it uh, raced in uh, West Virginia. We went to West Virginia. It was a big, huge track. They paid 50000 to win. They had 203 cars or something. Mm. And we won the race at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And they paid us all in ones and fives and tens and had a, like a five-gallon bag. Five o'clock in the morning, we blew a motor on the last lap passing uh, Freddie Smith or Donnie Moran, and we won the 50000 So we got to change motors and do all that. So we're at the racetrack 30 miles down the road the next day, Sunday, and they're paying 60000 to win. And we're leading that race in about 85 laps, 100-lap race, they knocked the right rear down, and and uh, Larry Moore won the race. But we almost won 110 that same weekend. And in West Virginia, Parker, Parkersburg's with 50,000, and Pennsboro was 30 miles down the road. They didn't have any bleachers. They were all cut in the hills, you know what I'm talking about, and had a creek going <coughs> through number one and number three. And you, you'd go across the bridge and through the curves and the whole deal, but... Yeah. We had a hell of a deal. It's a lot of races. Man, this but, is, yeah. Go ahead. I but that was, I think we won 58 features that year. Unreal. Well, man, pretty impressive. I appreciate you coming out here oh, and telling yeah. us some stories. We've been wondering uh, how you been, and man, you look great. I mean, good. It's good to see you. Look like you ain't changed a bit in the last couple of 10 years. Yeah, I hadn't changed a whole lot. Just what's in that cup. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> about put too much too many laps on my liver have you <laughs> hey ain't we all buddy appreciate you james yes sir people gonna enjoy this thanks for being on the show thank you
Hey, Download Listener Supervising Producer Andrew Curlin here. Are supply chain issues still disrupting operations? Well, let me tell you, Graybar has you covered. They are the leader in distribution of electrical, communications, data networking, and industrial products. Professionals across the country rely on Graybar's nationwide logistics network to get them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. That's right, and they're operating with one clear mission, to serve as the vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. Let me tell you, here's what makes them different, is you know being able to effectively navigate supply chains to get products on site and on time is so crucial these days, and Graybar's nationwide logistics network is a game changer in keeping projects on task. So when you need a hand powering, connecting, or maintaining your operations, join thousands of professionals who rely on Graybar to help keep them up and running. Check out Graybar. Visit graybar.com to start an order today. That makes me thirsty. <laughs> All right. Dale, listen, Dale Jr. had to bolt. He was a little under the weather. We actually made him leave, right, Matthew? So oh, yeah. I'm going to do this last call real quick. Uh, and I want to tell you guys about this. Ride with Dale Jr. raffle. It's at The Ride with Dale Jr. now, I don't know if you guys saw this. It's at Bristol what? now. The laps that Dale Jr. does for the Dale Jr. Foundation every year. It's been at Charlotte. Last year was at Darlington. It's at Bristol now. Can you just wrap your heads around that? That's awesome. So every year they hold this fundraiser. Uh, people take laps with Dell. This year uh, it's at Bristol, the number 88 Good Humor Chevrolet. Uh, and what's more is you can win a raffle for it. So if you go to ridewithdellejr.com, that's ridewithdellejr.com, the raffle tickets are $8.88. We're still hanging on that, that 88 <laughs> theme, right? Everything we do. And an eight. Yeah, right. Eight hundred eighty-eight. But it's eight dollars eighty-eight cents. You can purchase a raffle ticket. You can buy as many as you want. By the way, I mean, come on, don't just settle for one. You know, increase your chances because it's Bristol. Yeah, it's Bristol. It's Bristol. So baby. if you, it's, it's Bristol, one baby. thing to ride laps around <laughs> Bristol. It's another thing to ride with Dale at Bristol. Um, so that's that. Um, again, the website ridewithdalejr.com. Our pa- our podcast is also a TV show. You might Ooh. be aware of that. It's Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. Also want to encourage everyone to follow Dirty Mo Media on our social media platforms. It's at Dirty Mo Media. And also go visit DirtyMoMedia.com. We've got our store there. We've got all kinds of new merchandise. You're wearing I'll, some sweat. I, I'm actually wearing one, yeah. I like this sweatshirt. Nice. You know, Leah told me about this sweatshirt on how it feels. It not only looks good, but Soft. it feels good. It's something about the fabric. I mean, she said that, and she's right. It's like slicky on the outside, but, but super soft. On the yeah, super soft slicky. cotton on the inside. Yeah, it's it like really that is. slick material. Slicky. It's amazing. The, I, I should say that, you know, go buy these things at the Junior Nation or Junior Motorsports trackside trailer if you're at the racetrack because uh, they're all there. And uh, we're going to work on this stuff. It's going to we're going to get more stuff into the into the store. That'll be fun. Somebody just came into the studio. This is when you know, like Dale Junior's not here. Everybody just like the rules go out the window. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, it's just Mike doing stuff. Let's just walk in. No, no reason. Anyways, that's it. So, uh, guys, I enjoyed James Finch. I uh, really did ha- like having him here. It was especially meaningful to me considering I, my very first there. year in the sport, my very first race was with James Finch's team. They had told me about him. I was scared to death of him <laughs> uh, when, when they, they, they told me he's this uh, kind of cowboy with boots and jeans and a big gut and he drinks and he just doesn't give a damn and that's who your owner is. And I'm like – Wow, that's that's intimidating. So, uh, but and I love the fact that he rolled in with a posse. 
you know, he had because that's fast how he Eddie, rolls. Mercy, Eddie Mercer, the former yeah. Snowball Derby uh, winner, who right. told me before the show, is you know, I was asking for stories, and he said, he said his first quote was, he's an American badass and a true redneck icon. That's right. <laughs> that's a good description for James Finch. Um, so on behalf of Dale Jr. Uh, and Matthew and Leah and Jason Schultz and all the people that make this show uh, possible, uh, appreciate you guys listening, and we're out of here. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.